What is going on everyone and welcome back to How They're Here. Season 2 is finally here and we're kicking things off right with one of my favorite people of all time, Hunter Rodenslaven, founder of Athlete Nation and partner at Creative Olsen. I mentioned this in our conversation, but Hunter has an incredibly powerful and emotionally charged story, which widely takes place before he even turned 12 years old. And while we did briefly touch on this part of his life, I wanted to discuss more of his story as it played out after the age of 12. There are some great podcasts you can find where Hunter unpacks those early trials and tribulations that have led him to where he is today. And I suggest that you listen to at least one before this episode if you want the proper context. And trust me, his story is truly remarkable. Just search Hunter Rodenslaven wherever you listen to podcasts and pick one of the many that pop up. My favorite is a Pat and JT podcast that he did a couple months back. In any case, our conversation focuses more heavily on the professional journey Hunter has embarked on over the past eight years, which, as you will come to find out, all started from a Twitter account he started when he was just 12 years old. What started out as an outlet for Hunter to send upwards of 50 motivational tweets per day evolved into an apparel company, a sports content company, and a production agency, among other things. Hunter and I discussed the causes for these pivots, how he even grew a following of 10,000 people in the first place before he was even a teenager, his experience building and then disassembling a content team, the importance of direction, his decisions to take a break from college and how he views that decision for others, his thought process behind what drives him and why he thinks small Midwestern towns aren't actually a bad place to found a startup. I was fortunate enough to pick Hunter's brain on all of this and more for over an hour. And I think there are some fantastic antidotes and perspectives for aspiring entrepreneurs and creators here in the Midwest. I hope you all enjoyed this episode and learned a thing or two about how to direct your passions into a legitimate career, even in the face of extreme tragedy, and gain some valuable insight into how they're here. All right, we are finally back. This is the uh, the first episode of, of season two, or the first real episode, I should say. Um, we have Hunter Rodenslaven with me, who is the, among several other things, the, uh, the founder of Athlete Nation, a partner at uh, Creative Olsen, uh, a, a good friend of mine, and somebody that literally 20 minutes ago I met in person for the first time, which is kind of a, a wild experience. So Hunter, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's great to it's great to finally see you in person. I feel like I've known you forever, but uh, yeah, finally got to see you here in 3D for the first time. So it's good to finally meet you. Yeah, and to give people a little bit of background, like Hunter and I, and, and you guys, the listeners, have have certainly heard the story before. If you go back and listen to the episode with Frank Kugel, you'll kind of get a lot of the background of how I got started in social media and how I got started in content and everything. Um, Hunter was just sort of another iteration of that. So go back and listen to the episode of Frank Kugel if you haven't. Hunter was sort of a, another step for me. Um, and somebody, like I said, since probably about 2016, 2015, yeah. we've known each other, probably even earlier than that, yeah. just being aware of each other. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's cool to finally sort of, sort of break in here. So I want to get into a lot with Hunter today, and I want to, you know, obviously this podcast is a little bit more business focused, but Hunter has a really fantastic story that spans outside of business, uh, and, and I, I'm not going to jump into it here because there's so many people have done it really well. I listened to you on the, the Pat and JT podcast, yeah. and they, yeah. I thought they did a really good job at, at sort of digging into your story. Uh, yeah. So, you know, listeners, if you want to hear more about Hunter, go listen to that because I'm not going to get into that because that's already been done. Sure. So to give a little background, and I don't want to speak for you, but um, Hunter lost his mom uh, to cancer when he was in high school and sort of channeled a lot of uh, the, the passion that he felt from his mother, um, sort of just a lot of the feelings that he had at the time into a Twitter account called uh, called Athlete Nation. And from there, it's really boomed into something that's a lot more than a Twitter account, and I want to pick up from there. So yeah. sort of describe what Athlete Nation is in your words right now, we were just talking about it before. Yeah. And then reverse engineer it back to how we got there from yeah. a Twitter account in high school. 
Yes. So today, um, Athlete Nation is a sports creative team that works with brands, works with athletes to help them grow, engage, and reach their audience. That's basically what we do today. We've got a, uh, a creative team um, here in Lincoln, Nebraska is where we're based out of, um, but we're starting to work with different freelancers throughout the country to be able to execute on projects wherever. So um, we've got a big partnership with First National Bank, doing a video series for them every year uh, for the last couple of years. Um, starting to work with sports agencies and professional athletes to help them um, on social, create content, um, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean that's really what Athlete Nation is today. Um, reverse engineering it back uh, in 2012, it, it, Athlete Nation just started as a Twitter account, like you mentioned. Um, and uh, yeah, started as that Twitter account that I started back in 2012. I was in eighth grade. Um, we used it to just really kind of uh, uh, used it as an outlet to get, you know, what was going on uh, with my family, with my mom, uh, just losing her to cancer, um, using it as an outlet to get those those uh, those uh, really that that that, that pressure and, and, the, and the anxiety and everything that I was going through with losing my mom, um, using it as an outlet to, to just get through that. Um, and, and it ended up blowing up into this pretty strong brand within the first month, gathered 10,000 followers, kind of blew up from there and learned a lot about how to build a brand and what content resonates with people and what content doesn't, doesn't resonate with people. And it was just a big learning process. I'm sure like you guys had with, I live for football as well. Um, and so that kind of gave me an eye for, for branding and marketing and content. Um, and about year and a half ago, almost two years ago, I got connected with my business partner now, Nate Olson, who has a pretty extensive background in media production. Um, and uh, him and I have, have just kind of set out on this journey of, of creating content. And, um, you know, about a year and a half ago, started kind of building a team of content creators. Uh, Tyler, you were a part of that. Um, and I was really able to learn a lot from a lot of you guys as well. And that was kind of an exciting process of having a team of content creators, creating content, um, really the vision at that point was to be a sports media company. We had about 80,000 followers on social, 90,000 followers across our social platforms as a whole. And, um, at first we were creating content and, and sharing stories. Um, and we kind of learned that was a, a tough model. Um, and, and so we really kind of honed in on, on media production, um, after kind of going through a bit of a, uh, evolution as a business and, um, I've just kind of stuck through with, with that model since then. Yeah. That's a fantastic outline for basically what I want this episode to be, because I can go back and geek out all the way over the stuff that you talked about in the beginning, like gaining, I think a lot of the, the intricacies and the interesting parts are lost when you, you have such a fantastic story, obviously. And the business itself has a really unique evolution, mm -hmm. but <laughs> same thing with Frank, we gloss over that first maybe year or two or three or however long it was yep. that first 10,000 followers that at this point seems kind of like peanuts, but sure. that's, that's some of the most formidable time. And it's some of the most like, that's where most of the people that are listening are at right now in the stage yeah. of whatever they're doing. Like they're at that between one to 10,000 follower mark. And yeah. it's so cool to listen to somebody who obviously has gone past that, but like all of the magic, so to say yeah. happens, happens in that time. So I asked Frank this question, but what, what do you think did it for you? What do you think made you stand out in that first, you know, when you were just tweeting out mm -hmm. whatever you were tweeting out between zero followers and 10,000 followers, like what projected that growth when you were just in high school? Yeah. And I think, I think Frank had a similar answer too in ways, but 
I guess the first, I think probably one of the biggest factors was Twitter was just completely different back in 2012. Um, it, it was a different atmosphere. People were a lot more eager to follow other people. Um, and so, I mean, that played a huge role in it just in itself. Um, I think another aspect of it too is back in 2012, Twitter was so new and, um, people were, were just beginning to learn how to use the platform and, um, and I think there was something about when I created this, the athlete nation, uh, Twitter account, a lot of what I was posting originally was motivational quotes. It was, it was stuff that was positive in nature. And I think people were drawn to that initially. Um, and, um, you know, I think in the early days of, of social, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of cyberbullying, a lot of negativity, a lot of, uh, just negative stuff on social. And so I think there was something about having a, an account that had a sports niche to it that, you know, was, was positive in nature that really drew people to it. And there was, so I think it's a combination of the platform itself, the fact that it was positive, but then also I was a bored 12 year old kid that had so much time on my hands that was posting 50 times a day. I remember I, I was direct messaging with another account similar to, to your guys. I think it was a football account. Um, and he was telling me, he's like, dude, you got to slow down on your tweeting. I only tweet like 10 times a day. And I remember thinking that tweeting 10 times a day was such a minimal amount <laughs> back no, then. It was ridiculous. It was totally changed. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I think it, it, and when you tweet that many times, um, you know, although most of my tweets were probably absolutely terrible and had typos and weren't good, you know, usually when you tweet 50 times a day, at least one or two might be decent enough to be able to, to get some traction and gain some of those followers. Yeah. I think that's so funny because, for one, because you could never, you can never do that. You can never repeat that model again today. If no, somebody were to, no. to go repeat Hunter Rodden's like this 12 year old, how to build a following model, they would be no, cast yeah. off as like a botic or like what is happening right now. Yeah. You know, it'd be, you couldn't do that. And the other part is you probably weren't necessarily thinking from the mindset of, well, if I tweet 50 times a day, you know, I have a no, better year. Yeah. Like I'm I was just, bored. I'm just, I'm bored. I was bored. I was a 12 year old kid. I didn't have a cell phone at that point. Yeah. Um, Maybe I did, but I remember I didn't have a I didn't have a smartphone, so I had an iPod Touch that I started Athlete Nation on. Oh yeah, um, and so I was literally a bored twelve year old. It was in the middle of the summer. I was in my room, and I just I, I wanted something to do, and so I just tweeted, and that's all I did. I think that's so funny. I I've been asked actually pretty recently, sort of a couple times, the same kind of question when I bring up I live football. Like, what differentiated you guys? Because you look on Twitter and just social media in general today, and you just see so much of what you were doing and what we were doing, and uh, it's just all over the place. And like, what differentiated you guys? And I explain it. We were just a bunch of 14, 15, 16 year olds doing the same thing that other 14, 15, 16 year year olds were doing, but we were just doing it better and more consistently. Like our content wasn't anything special or, you know, what, you know, what we were doing, we didn't have a secret formula. It's just when these kids weren't getting the retweets they wanted, they just quit. And we saw, Hey, look, there's stuck with, there's something more to it. Right. So I think that's, I think that's funny. And I think, like I said, that's where a lot of the there is because a lot of those people, you know, when you start, you start at zero. And while those same mechanisms aren't, aren't usable today necessarily you can kind of take that same mentality of like look just there's a bunch of people doing it you're right but you have to be the more consistent one out of out of the bunch to sort of persevere through through all the noise because there's a ton of noise today i mean there really is there is yeah so i want to go now because you when you walked us through sort of the evolution of i live or i live football athlete nation my bad um you talked a lot about just some of the different pivots you went through yeah so it started off as you tweeting motivational content 
and then it moved to you hiring on this team that that I actually was, and before that it was an apparel like an apparel brand right Cause yeah I was selling like athlete nation shirts and stuff right. and so that was back in high school well, we all thought we all thought t-shirts we, were the killer idea yeah. we're like dude yeah be killer. and i know you guys did did that as well we sold t-shirts and then you realize like wait nobody wants a t-shirt no one, yeah, no with one. your brand like it took me so long to realize like man why aren't these shirts selling it's like well they're kind of gaudy and they yeah. say i live for football across them and mm-hmm. nobody except for me thinks that's cool dude yeah i think like i think like 80 to 90 percent of my sales were from waverly nebraska people sure. that i knew in waverly that wanted yeah. to to support which is super cool but right. yeah it was- yeah i know before we stopped we had like we had we were getting renderings of like shirts that weren't that didn't say I live for football. And I remember helping design them. And I'm like, this can't have the logo or say I live for football anywhere. Like, I just want them to be objectively wearable shirts for people that play football and not just gaudy, like, here's my logo, please wear it. Yeah. Anyway, so you went from a a content, a motivational content, you know, tweeting out 50 times a day to an apparel company, obviously wildly wildly successful. Um, (laughs) But we, you know, then where I sort of come into the picture and where this relationship uh, sort of unfolds was you were building out this team of content creators. And Mm -hmm. I think this is a really interesting model when you take it in a vacuum. And I also think it's just a really interesting uh, like trajectory of a business in general of not necessarily scaling up too much, but going a direction and going all in like I like I yeah. think you did and then having to sort of reel back a little bit. Yeah. So talk to me about what the thought process was like. I think it's a pretty linear thought process of going from, you know, you're tweeting motivational content. Let's just yeah. scale that up to have more people produce content. Mm-hmm. But what was your thought process in it? And then what led to you transitioning away from it? Yeah. You know, I think I think originally um, when I so when I graduated high school, I had about 80,000 followers on Twitter. Um, I knew I had this brand that I had built around sports and positivity and, and stories. Um, and, and I knew I wanted to turn it into something more, right? I, at that point it was just me, um, just me tweeting out things and, and I really just wanted to turn it into something more. So when I graduated high school and I, uh, went to the university of Nebraska Lincoln as a freshman, I, I remember wanting Athlete Nation after, you know, after talking with a lot of business owners here in Lincoln that I've gotten to know and, and just kind of uh, doing a lot of networking and brainstorming and time in coffee shops. I just kind of decided I wanted to turn Athlete Nation into a sports media company that basically shares stories in sports. Um, for me, I, I've always been captivated by sports stories, the the 30 for 30s on ESPN, the SE featured stories, the um, and, so, and so like those stories always inspired me and I wanted there to be, I, I wanted athlete nation to be the sports media company that primarily just shares those stories in sports. That was really the, the vision initially. There wasn't a huge business model behind it at first. It was just like, I want to turn athlete nation into that brand. Um, being a full-time, you know, student in college, like I, I didn't really have this big vision of turning athlete nation into a big business at that point. I just wanted to, to keep growing into a brand. And so started building this team of content creators. Um, I was literally on Twitter searching through trying to find people that were good writers, um, that were, that, that could host a podcast, people that were in journalism and, and, and media at UNL, um, students that I could, I could persuade to try and enjoy it, join a team that I, you know, obviously I couldn't pay them. I didn't have money at that point. Um, I don't really have that much money now, I guess, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, but I was able to persuade it kind of a, a small team of, of students at UNL to, to be a part of this, this team that shares sports stories. And, and Tyler, you were able to be a part of that, um, come that spring, which I was super excited about. And, um, 
you know, it really that, that thought process was we were going to be that brand, that sports media company, and we were going to try to tie money into that by just having brands sponsor the content. Um, and we were able to, to get a, a pretty strong relationship with First National Bank right out of the gates, um, which was a lot of fun and, and, and really cool, especially being a, you know, a 19-year-old kid um, that didn't know what he was doing. Um, but then after our pilot sponsorship with them, they, uh, said they really liked the video content that we did. And we did a video story for them, um, as a part of a pilot sponsorship. And they really kind of wanted to go all in on doing something around video. Um, and at that point I had brought Nate on, um, at least as a, as a working relationship. I don't think we were partners at that point, um, who, Nate, again, had had that pretty extensive background in media production. Um, and so I guess just through that process, uh, you know, as we were building out this 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 team, started creating content, um, there came a point where it was just tough to try and bring in money. And we had built this this team of, you know, 10 plus content creators. And um, although the stories that we were sharing were, were great and, and the idea for the brand was really coming to fruition in a lot of ways, there was no money backing it. And um, that was just tough. Like I was like, this is exactly what I want, but there's no money coming in and how can this be sustainable? And at that point I was going to school as a, as a entrepreneurship marketing business student. And, um, it, it just kind of became this, 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 this problem, um, later on. And so when we, when we signed a deal with first national bank around doing a, a video series for them, um, really kind of learned that that could be where money comes from. Um, and I've never been someone that's, that's cared a ton about, about money, but when you run a business, there has to be money in order to, to make it sustainable. And I knew that this thing was something that I wanted to be sustainable long-term because I loved it. I, I loved, I loved sharing stories. I love what we're doing. And so I guess in that process, yeah, I, I had built a team, um, with really not a ton of money backing it. Um, and I kind of did it reverse instead of building a business first and then a team, I built a team and then a business. Um, and so it was just kind of tough to try and make that work. And so, yeah, it was just an interesting evolution there. And And I don't think that was necessarily to your point about building it backwards. I don't think it was necessarily a backwards way to do it because the nature of what you had set out to do at the time of building a, you know, a team that could create content or a business that could create content, you needed content creators, right? You couldn't do it all yourself. So to your point about being backwards, I don't think that's necessarily true, but it is, it is an interesting dynamic when you're, when you have to manage and you have to lead a a group of people that are your age or just a little bit younger, which is weird one. And then two, you're not paying them. So there has to be a different value transaction. What, you know, what I was, I was in a lot of those discussions, but what was your, what was your pitch essentially of yeah. like, you know, what was your value transaction? Like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to do a lot of high level work and you're right. There was a lot of high level work done, yeah. but you couldn't pay them. You couldn't yeah. pay us. So what was your, you know, what was your value, you know, your value point? What was, yeah. what are you pitching them on? Well, I think it was a couple of things. Um, so I speak at a lot of schools and, and share my story and the message is always about being a part of something bigger than yourself. And I felt with athlete nation, with the brand that we had, with the influence that we had as a brand, um, I felt that I could sell that you could be a part of something bigger than yourself by being a part of this team. Um, we had kind of built a small team and, and had this brand and I was really pitching that you can make an impact through this platform that we built. So that was really number one. Um, number two though, I mean, we, we had moved into an office space, um, 
the the spring of what 2018 yeah and um so having that office space down in the rail yard of downtown lincoln was a, a big selling point too because um, you, you felt like you were um you know part of a, a startup culture that could you know really like turn into something and so i think that was kind of another selling point as well um but then i think you know i think I think bet- between those two things, I mean, that was probably, those are probably the main selling points, but then also just the experience, right? Like to be a part of a team, create content, um, with, with a large platform that we had built, you know, it's a good thing to put on your resume. It's a good thing to, you know, get, get experience with and get more practice on for especially a lot of, you know, uh, students and kids our age to be able to get that experience was, I think a, a good thing. Yeah. I will say anecdotally I had, so for the internship that I have this summer, um, which is an internship at a top. 10 company in, in Minneapolis and the internship program is, is also ranked apparently nationally. So it's a, it's a really good opportunity is what I'm trying to say. And the top thing on my resume for that job was athlete nation, like media director, like whatever yeah. it was, yeah. but it was like, that was the, that was the number one experience thing on my resume at the time. And I remember in the interview, they're like, what is this? And I remember pulling out, we had just pivoted from doing our stories to like yeah. long form to like those the four different blocks on Twitter, like yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. graphics yeah. of shortening the stories. And I remember pulling it out and like, well, you know, we're working on stuff like this kind of yeah. like, not like re- reinventing the wheel or anything, but yeah. kind of just to say like, we're doing things differently. We're creating content, but we're doing it differently. Yeah. And I got the job and I is probably not just because of athlete nation sure. that I got the yeah. job, but to flip That's it around awesome. if somebody's listening and they're not in hunter spot, but they're in a spot where maybe they're being courted by somebody to work yeah. free, for free or, and, and I have my own stance on free work. I don't know yeah. how much yeah. I'd like to do it. And that could just be circumstantial. Like yep. I don't, at this point in my life, I just wouldn't take free work anymore. Right. Yeah. But there, <laughs> there might yeah. be a time yeah. in somebody's life where free work, you know, it might be a valid thing to do at least for yeah. a little bit of time. Yeah. And I think then you have to understand the value just as much of the person that's pitching it yeah. and however much, not that you were blowing smoke when you're, you know, cause it, there, it was a great opportunity. Like I said, I, I leveraged it, yeah. but however much you think that person is blowing smoke out of their, out of their fit, out of their face and saying like, Oh, I can't pay you, but you get this, this and this, like yeah. understand where the value is yeah. and say, look, I'm not getting paid, but I'm going to take it for what it's worth. And even yeah. if you're doing it for, a month and yep. you're just building your creative portfolio or you're making connections because yep. if you're doing it for a month, if you have something to show for it and then you can put it on a resume or you can right. meet somebody else like that, that ROI is, is infinite. It, yep. it, it's not, it's not set in how much it can return to you for not being paid, which yeah. I think is an interesting concept. However you feel about free work. Yeah, no, 100%. I think a part of it too is I kind of relate it to my speaking career at, at, you know, to some level. Um, there's before I, I started getting paid for, for doing speaking gigs, I, I've done so many speaking gigs for free. Um, and part of that was to get practice, but also just to be able to, you know, get your name out there and to build those relationships. I think in any business, um, I think life is about relationships. And so, uh, you know, there's relationships that I was able to build by doing those, those free speaking events, the relationships that I was able to build by, you know, doing free content for first national bank, um, has really helped build the foundation for my business and really my life. So it's, it's been a huge, uh, integral part of my life, I would say. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit earlier about you were just not, you didn't use the word overwhelmed. I'm not going to put it in your mouth, but you were just very surprised that 
at 19 years old, people are you know giving you money or taking meetings with you or all this sort yeah. of stuff. And it's a feeling that I felt when yeah. I left for football. We were you know DMing potential sponsors and you know we were hopping on phone calls. And I felt like the stuff. You know, I felt yeah. like man, I'm I am running a multi million dollar enterprise out here. You yeah. know, slinging sponsorships, yeah. Yeah. doing you know whatever, a couple hundred bucks a month. But in any case, it's interesting that these companies are granting credibility or credence to kids. You know, for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes, we're still kids and. I, I was just curious, are there any times where you feel like you get put into like a novelty meeting like or you have a relationship and you feel like the relationship is predicated on the fact that you're young and that you have a business, but they're just meeting, you know, they're just meeting with you because you're young and you have a business, not because it's actually like a legitimate thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I think I think, yeah, I mean, I mean, totally. I try not to think about it. Um, and I think I think in particular, I would say the last six months or so we've built up enough credibility as a business where um that maybe doesn't happen as much i would like to think but yeah i mean i i think you know especially in particular um at the beginning of of starting to do business development and and meet with different people and different marketing directors um yeah i mean i i think age is 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 was probably a factor and i think you know, I even think back to like my first meeting with First National Bank in person. First National Bank is the largest privately held bank in America, and I was meeting with their marketing team um, to do this this pitch uh, on this video series called Champions of the Community. And I remember walking into their headquarters in Omaha, their huge, massive tower in downtown Omaha, uh, going up the elevator, and I just was I was just so nervous because I was thinking like, I'm this 19 year old kid how do I have a place at this table? Right? Like, like how do I have credibility? Why are they even taking this meeting? Um, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that I I've had, you know, guys like Nate who my business partner and, and mentors and people like you that, um, have continued to push me because I feel like if I didn't have people around me to help kind of continue to, to build me and athlete nation up, um, I probably wouldn't have the confidence to be able to, to, to do a meeting like that or ask for a meeting like that. So, uh, it's just interesting how that's played out. And I suppose I framed it as a bad thing, but maybe it's not even necessarily a bad thing that yeah. you get a meeting because you're 19 years old. Like the novelty of you being young is the reason you get the meeting. Mm-hmm. You, maybe it's the reason you got the meeting, but that doesn't mean you can't go into the meeting and actually surprise them mm-hmm. with the content of what you have. Yeah. Right? That maybe, maybe that's just a door opener, which what, is fine. What I think is interesting too, is I'll have, I'll have a lot of people, like I'll do some networking on LinkedIn or I'll, I'll have, you know, a company or someone reach out to me and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's grab coffee or a beer. And I'm like, I'm not even 21 yet. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's just funny. Uh, and I, th- I think sometimes too, like I'll, I'll go to, I'll go into a meeting for the first time with a company or a marketing director or something. And, and when I walk into the coffee shop or their office, they probably look at me like, Oh my God, you're, you're a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, like just emailing back and forth. They have no idea how old I am. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just interesting. Yeah, I like I said, I don't think you have to frame it as a bad thing. It could be your door opener, but you have yeah. to make sure that you come through with like one hundred percent. Like if, yeah. if and if your expectation is like, well, the only thing I'm nineteen, I don't really have to come through with a, a really solid pitch or yeah. whatever you're you're trying to portray to them. I think then that's where you run into the problems of yeah. like, you know, this kid's cute. You know, he's it's kind of that cute complex, yeah. right? Of like, oh, he's cute. He's doing his own. Like, you always see people attached like little before. Like, yeah. oh, Andre has this little his little business that he's running, and it's like, <laughs> you know, don't demean me like that, right? It's, you yeah, that's yeah, that's what that's what people do sometimes. It's yeah. unfortunate, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about 
the importance of finding direction. So yeah. this is something that I've really quite honestly been thinking a lot about and it's probably what predica- predicated this question. But for me, I feel like I'm split in a bunch of different directions right now. Like I'm mm-hmm. not a graphic designer, although I have some skills in that area. I'm not a photographer or videographer, yeah. although I have some skills in that area. I'm, you know, I'm not one of these things, but I'm a lot of them at the same time, sort of that jack of all trades yeah. mentality where I'm not anything really well. I'm a couple of things kind of okay, yeah. but it's like, which lane do I pick and which do I go after? Because I'm, I know I'm the type of person where once I pick something and once I put my head down and focus on something like that's why I loved athlete nation or I love football or whatever yeah. it is because, or even being a student for that matter. Like mm-hmm. when I can see something and be like, this is what yeah. I am right now. I can go all in on this. I feel like I have a lot of success and I enjoy myself. And especially when it's something I'm passionate about, it's like, there's not, nothing can beat that high of like doing that thing. The problem is right now I'm struggling finding that direction. Yeah. So for you, the business was in a lot of, uh, in a limbo for a while. You you might want to say where it's, you know, you wanted to be a, an apparel company. You wanted to be a content company. You wanted to be a media production company. When did you find that moment of direction and how has that, how does that catalyze you going forward? Yeah. You know, I think, I don't know if there's any one particular moment where I was just like, yes, that this is exactly where we need to go. And the path is super clear. But I think, I think, you know, and it's, it's really with any business, right? Any good business evolves. Um, and, and it evolves because you try different things, you learn what works, you learn what doesn't work. And then when you find something that kind of works, you just stick with it. And I think that was, that's probably a good way to, to describe what happened with, with athlete nation is we tried a lot of different things. I tried building an apparel business, realized that that didn't really work. So I took another turn and I decided, okay, let's, let's try a sports media company. Okay. That didn't necessarily work. So let's try media production. And so far it's, it's worked. And so, um, you know, we're going to keep sticking with it until it doesn't work and until we have to pivot again. So, I mean, I, I just think that's, that's kind of just the truth with any business. Um, I don't know if there's any one particular moment. Um, yeah, I would just say that that's probably the best way to explain it. From your standpoint, you've always been sort of a, at least how I've seen you in, in the scope of Athlete Nation as sort of the administrator, the the CEO, the the boss type. And obviously you were doing a lot of roll the sleeves up gritty work in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then as you build out a team, we were talking about this before yeah. with, with Nate, you know, you're managing accounts and stuff like that. How do you balance, maybe isn't the right term, but how do you balance being a practitioner, like doing the actual yeah. work with being somebody who just has to facilitate a lot of things going on. Yeah. You know, I think, and I've talked, I've talked about this with, with some of the, the guys in my network, like it, it, that whole process of having a team was such a learning process for me. Like you know, in high school, you know, I was involved in quite a few different leadership roles, but when you actually have a team that's, that's yours and, and you're responsible for everything that's going on and everything lies on your shoulders. And if someone's upset, it's, it's your fault. And if something doesn't go right, it's your fault. Um, you know, I think that was just a, a, a big learning process. Um, but you know, I would say, um, I would I forgot your question. The question is, how do you balance being like a practitioner <laughs> yeah. with being somebody? So like in the relationship with yeah. you and Nate, for example, yeah. he obviously is doing a lot of the like the work that is shown to the client, right? Yeah. How do you balance that? How do you balance that like within yeah. yourself or yeah. within the business? I think at first you you have to be involved in both. Um, I think at first you do to kind of build that foundation. Um, but then once you have 
the right people in place to be able to execute on this stuff that like the like the nitty-gritty the grind of of you know creating graphics or, or doing whatever and and you build that trust you, you you back off and you let them have their space um and i think that was something that i learned throughout the process of having a team and i know as we continue to scale you know our business now and and we look to try and bring people on you know in in the time to come you can't build a business you can't scale a business if you're micromanaging everyone um and i think that was something that i probably learned in that process of having a team hi yes sorry so not to disturb you from the middle of this fantastic episode with hunter but we do have a couple of ads to read how exciting uh the first one is from cash app so if you would like to get free five dollars if you would like me to get a free five dollars all you have to do is go down to the Cash App, sign up, and use my referral code uh, for the first time when you when you log in. There's be a place to enter a referral code. Use that and get a free $5 when you sign up. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to get to my referral code, and you can download the app that way. Again, you get a free $5. I get a free $5. Great way to help support me, help support the show. I can pick up some fun little things here and there, uh, and you get free 5 bucks out of it. This episode is also brought to you by uh, starting a podcast for yourself. So if you want to go start a podcast, if you're doing it on a budget, I'm a college student. I don't have a ton of money, but I'd like to think that the show has some pretty good quality to it, even though I'm balling on a budget. Uh, It sounds pretty professional. I'd I'd like to think. If you want to do all this stuff, and of course, probably being the type of person that listens to this, maybe you have an inkling to start a podcast, I want you to go to kit.com forward slash how they're here. What that is, is just a, a listing of all the stuff that I use to, uh, to record this podcast. I, I've done a ton of research, so I found some really good, uh, a really good crossover in between what is valuable and what has great value and then what sounds really good. And I've tested a bunch of this stuff out, so you don't have to. Hopefully, I can cut your learning uh, curve in half that way. Uh, and then by clicking those links and, and going over and buying those things through Amazon, uh, you help support the show. Those are Amazon-affiliated links, so I get a little kickback there. So if you want to start a podcast, if you want to cut your learning curve in half, don't worry about going on YouTube and searching all these review sites and all this sort of stuff uh, and test things out and then having to return things. Uh, if you like the way that this podcast sounds, there's a link of all the equipment that I use and you can do it for yourself. So uh, kit.com forward slash how they're here. Click those links and go to Amazon and, and purchase these things and help support the show. All right, back to Hunter Rodenslaven. Have you always seen yourself in that light and that, that light of being somebody who's just going to be the CEO and who's going to put be putting out those fires or do you want to, do you want to have your hands on things? I like having my hands on things. Sure. Um, and I think part of that too is like, I, I, when I would say like I'm, I'm a perfectionist in a lot of ways. And so like I've got my vision for what things should be. And, and so I think that, I mean, for, for a lot of business owners, when they start bringing people on and, and someone does something maybe a little bit differently than they would, you know, it maybe irks them because like it's, it's, this is their baby, this is their business. Um, but like I said, you, you can't scale a business if you're micromanaging everyone, it's just not possible. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would say, I always love, I always love kind of, I, I love the, the responsibility of leading. I love, um, I love having a group of people that I'm with. I think like the one thing, like I, I love where we're at right now with the business and, and I, I love, I feel like we're making over the last nine, 12 months, we've made so much progress as a business. Um, the one thing I do miss though, is, is having that, that team of people that are, are there backing us that I can call up. And I do have that to a certain point, just not like the, the day to day, you know, people in the office, that sort of feeling. Um, and I, I, I just love people. And so like, that's one thing that I do miss. If I were to take away athlete nation from you tomorrow, as traumatic as that might be, what, what would you go out? And I'm like, okay, Hunter, you have to go find a full-time job. You have to go, you know, 
to tie up. You have to go suit up. You have to mm -hmm. go do job interviews, get a full-time job, like join the rest of us in the real world sort of thing. Um, wh what would you go apply for? Like what sort oh, of position? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I honestly, man, I, I love, I love the freedom of being able to run my own business. So it's hard for me to kind of picture that. But I think if I was to have to get a full-time job somewhere, um, and speaking doesn't work out, um, I'd probably apply at a place like, like huddle or, or another startup here in, in Lincoln or I guess wherever, um, something that has to do with sports and media. I mean, that's kind of where my passion lies. I love anything where, where I feel like my work is, uh, meaningful and I love sharing stories and I love the impact the stories have. And so I think anything in that space, whether it's a digital media director type position or anything within that department, um, I would say anything along those lines in a startup culture. It's got to be a startup culture or else if, if I got to work like a nine to five job or it's corporate and I've got to, you know, dress super nice and, and it's just a boring office feel. I could, I, I would rather, I don't even know. I, I, I would not enjoy an atmosphere like that. Have you ever considered that possibility of having to maybe not get a corporate type drag nine to five where, you know, how you, how you describe it, but the possibility of, having to go do something else other than athlete nation like athlete nation has been yeah. the the center point of a large mm -hmm. part of your adult life yeah you know I, I i don't put a ton of thought into that but i do think like i do think like if i if 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 the business goes under at at any point whether it's a year from now five years from now 10 years from now 20 years from now um i think about the relationships that i've been able to build with athlete nation particularly here in nebraska um, and, and I think about how I could leverage those relationships to get a job if I need to. Um, and so that's something that I do think about is even if the business fails, I've got, I've got a lot of relationships that I can fall back on because of the business, which I think is, is pretty cool. And I think it says a lot, I mean, for a lot of, I, I tell a lot of, a lot of my friends that are, are 20 years old like us that, um, you know, going out and just meeting people is something that I think is extremely valuable. So, yeah, no, I completely agree. In that same traditional vein, uh, you dropped out of school, obviously. I don't know. We sort of glossed over that, but you yeah. did go to Lincoln, Nebraska, and then you dropped out to do athlete nation full time. Mm -hmm. What was that first thought process like? Yeah. And then I want to get into your thoughts just about the university system in general. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I'm taking a break from school right now. I'll probably, I, I will probably go back in some fashion to just keep knocking out classes part-time, um, just to keep chipping away at a degree, whether that takes me, you know, five years, 10 years, I have no idea. Um, the ultimate super senior. Hunter yeah, dude, for sure. I'll be like a 50 year old taking classes, <laughs> still don't have a degree. Um, but, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that thought process. So I was a sophomore at UNL when things were just nuts. Like the, the business was was kind of taking off. We had just signed a lease to our office space. I was doing a ton of public speaking, especially that semester of school. Um, and so, I mean, there were, there were weeks of school and my roommate, well, roommate from UNL is sitting over there probably laughing right now, but there were literally weeks of school where I would be like, I would missing, I'd be missing the entire week because I had business meetings or I had, I had speaking events and it was just really crazy trying to balance all of those things with being a full-time student. Um, and so I think, 
after that semester, um, I had just kind of decided that this business thing is really what I'm passionate about. This is what I'm going to school for and I'm able to do it. So I'm just going to go all in because I think the opportunity is hot right now. Um, and I felt like if, if I was to try and manage speaking, running the business and being a full-time student all at the same time, I'd probably fail at everything because there's only so much time in the day and, uh, I don't like failing. So for me, I had to just kind of, I, I knew I just needed to kind of pick and at the time, I just felt like the business opportunity was hot. I was, I was getting uh, so much, gaining so much knowledge from running the business, meeting so many great people, and it would have been a major disservice to myself if I would have put that on the back burner for a couple classes that may or may not serve me well in the future. So I think this is an interesting conversation. You were going to school for entrepreneurship, among other things. Mm-hmm. I have a similar degree. Yeah. And so we're sort of on the... We're on the opposite sides of the same coin from the standpoint of I've been asked innumerable times, why are you going to school for entrepreneurship if that's like the the mold breaking? Like people think of entrepreneurs, people yeah. think of drop out of school, go do your startup full time and like yeah. you're an entrepreneur. But there's a degree for it, which seems more traditional than uh-huh. that route. You you took the path of like, look, I'm going. It's not. It wasn't like a middle finger up, screw you all. But it was like look, I know where the value for me lies and it lies in me being a practitioner and and going in and running the business. For me, it's the other side. It's look, I understand that this is more of a strategic management role. It sets me up well professionally and I, you know, I can have a security net in essence of like, this is a degree that I have, which is widely applicable to, to a variety of things. What, what is your view on going and studying entrepreneurship or just going and studying anything really in, in business in general, because I think there's this notion now that the university system is outdated and they're teaching you things that are just not applicable anymore. And you're just better off going and doing mm-hmm. your own thing. Yep. So, so what do you think about that? I have, um, conflicting views on that. I would say, because I think it just depends on where you're at. Right. I think if you have a business, um, before going into college or even when you're in college and it's doing well and that's what you're going to school for. Um, and it, it, and if you're in a position where it's either the business or school, um, I would go all in on the business because I think about for me again, um, I think about just the value that I got from running my business and it was, it was the relationships. It was the actual experience of running a business. And I think I think similarly, if you're in a position where um, you don't have a business and you want to just gain knowledge on on business and if you want to build relationships but you don't have an idea for a business, then business school might be really great for you. Um, so it really just kind of depends on where you're at, I would say. But yeah, it, it just... Yeah, it just depends on where you're at, I would yeah. say. No, I, I appreciate that nuanced viewpoint because I think a lot of what I'm seeing out of out of some people specifically LinkedIn video influencers, like the bane of my existence are LinkedIn video influencers yeah. are the worst. And anyway, um, they are so binary about the decision and it's like, mm-hmm. look, you shouldn't, I don't think it's black and white. I don't think it's black and white either. And I, that's why I say, I appreciate your nuanced yeah. viewpoint because then I think there's even a third category of, I don't have a business. I don't know if I even want to study business. Like I don't know what I'm going to yeah. do. And yeah. even in within that area, I don't think school's the right thing for everybody. Cause I don't think, yeah. I don't think college is the place where if you have no idea what you want to do, I don't think dropping tens of thousands of dollars a year yeah. to figure it out is what you should be doing. Yep, if I you agree. have 
like for me, I, but but at the same time, there are a lot of people that don't know what they want to do, and there's people that change major. I change majors yeah. myself, and it's it, I just knew higher education was the thing I wanted to do yeah. because I enjoyed learning, and I knew that was sort of a lifestyle that I wanted to yeah. have, and so that was the direction I picked. So it's like yeah. even within all these different subsects, there are multiple options you can take. Yeah, just from the like it's just so circumstantial, <clears throat> and the problem I have with the discussion a lot of the time is that people think it's such a binary decision of I mean I see people literally call college a prison like they're like college is prison it's good for nothing and do you know who Jordan Paris is I'm just gonna call him up I don't think so okay no. we'll look him up on LinkedIn and the name sounds familiar I don't he know he has a I... podcast himself okay um he and he calls like college prison he also coincidentally goes to college I'm like oh dude if it's such a prison like <laughs> yeah. drop out it's your choice right and college I, is a choice it is a choice and I'm like I don't even care I'm gonna get on a Jordan Paris rant which I had planned for another time but anyway I don't even care if he like is in the last semester like if he thinks it's so bad if it's a if it's prison if I was in prison I wouldn't want to spend yep. another day in prison I wouldn't want to yep. spend another semester in prison so if yep. it's prison leave yeah but he chooses not to leave for whatever reason probably because oh maybe there still are benefits to college sure but in his eyes and in the eyes of a lot of people it's a binary like yep. college is good for nothing and i don't think that's the case so i always like asking yeah. people like you who chose to not go the college route yeah why they didn't go I the don't, college see, route. To be, and, and i want to add on this a little bit i think i think I do, I do not believe that college is good for nothing but it also depends on on how you use it in terms of getting value out of That's it, a really because good point. if if you if you're just going there just to 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 you know cross the t's and dot the i's and just do the bare minimum to get the degree. You may or may not get value out of it. I mean, you're just getting you know some book information and that's great. But I think about my experience at UNL and the people that I've been able to meet, the the team that we were able to build, the experience that we were able to, ha able to have when I was a student. My business partner I met through college. Um, a lot of the people that I I consider mentors of mine I met through the college system, and so it's it's how you use it, right? I, I think that's an important part too. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's a proactive thing. It's a th college can't be a thing that happens to you and then you expect to have yeah. so much success yeah. out of it. It has to be something like you, the people that have the most success in school are like you said, they're proactive about it. They're offensive. They're going out and they're, they're yep. finding opportunities. A lot of the yep. people that I find Trying things. through this podcast, I use my dot umn.edu email and my hit rate is so much higher because I'm using a student email. So like, th yeah. you know, just things like that, yeah. like the networking, the just building those connections yeah. and just creating all of this sort of intangible value yeah. is, is so important. And it's, a, yeah. it's a how you use it. So if there are people graveling in the back about, Oh, it sucks. Like, you know, maybe you're just laying over and yeah. not, I think college is the time for you to build your foundation. Yeah. Um, you're just out of high school. A lot of people don't know exactly what they want to do. Um, and, and a lot of people obviously don't have that much experience. And so it, it, that, that four year time frame or however long it takes you is an opportunity for you to really just build your foundation and, and hone in on your skills and learn about yourself and meet people and just build that foundation. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Well, college rant, mark that college rant officially over, but yeah. rest assured there is more to come because I, I kind of want to go on Jordan Paris because <laughs> I think he's just ridiculous sometimes. <laughs> he has a podcast, go listen to it, whatever. Don't, I don't care. Listen to this one instead. Anyway, I want to talk a little bit about this idea and we, we touched on it a little bit, but so you have a North star with athlete nation. Like you have a, vi a mission statement that you want to achieve. And while it's changed over time, yeah. it's remained widely the same of impacting people through stories or through yeah. content in sports. That's great. I think a lot of people look at that and like, that's a great mission statement.
But then you mentioned you're not a money centric guy, but you have to make money to run a business. Yeah. How do you go after a North Star like that while still making money to do so? Like, are there things that you have to compromise? Yeah. Are there things that you're like, hey, look, we might not be able to live up to our mission on this project, but it's going to bring cash flow in through the door. Are, are there are there times like that? Or are you so, I don't want to like call you like a, a Puritan, but are you so much like, look, this is what we hold in esteem and this is, this cannot be shaken with. And we, you know, even if there's a, a project that doesn't fall directly in line with that North star, yeah. that we can't take that even if it brings in money. You know, I, I mean, I think, I think unless we were to do a project that I just absolutely don't believe in, um, I would say most of our projects always align with our mission of, of telling stories and, and, and having them be meaningful and having an impact. I think we've set ourselves up as a business where that's just what we're about. And then I think when you set that precedent, especially up front, that that's what you're about, projects don't usually come up where they don't align with that because you've already set that precedent of who you are, what you're about, what your mission is. Um, and so that all, you know, usually falls in line from there. Um, so I mean I can't really think of any projects right now that that don't align with with that mission and to be honest with you um like I think about like why I originally started Athlete Nation and the basically how Athlete Nation has really helped set me up as a as a person and um I for me if I, if I was to take it take money over mission I feel like I'd be compromising everything that I've I've built up to this point so um Yes, money's important. It's it's the only way you can sustain a business. But if you're not sticking to that mission of why you started it originally, I mean, what, you lose sight, at least eventually, as to as to why you created it, and then you lose your purpose in terms of why you created it. And I think that's one of the most important things of 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 life is having a purpose. Have you run into people yet that you're like, look, I don't think we align on the same plane of whatever you're talking about because I've. Oh yeah. And maybe this is more prevalent. Yeah. I mean, like I work in some project, ba- like more freelance, it's more individualistic, but like you work in project based work. Sure. Yeah. So meeting people and you're like, I just don't get great. Like wh- wh- whether you want to call them vibes or like, I just don't yeah. get a great feeling off of you that we're headed yeah. the same direction or what you're doing is at all about what I'm doing. Have yeah. you run into any of that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. There, I think there's more of that than, sure. than the projects not aligning with our mission. Um, is just you, when you work in, in, in a, a, a business where you work with clients, you, you kind of get to, there gets to be a point where, yes, at first you want to take in as much business as you can, but then you, you really kind of start to be able to, to pick and choose, okay, like I like working with this person, this person doesn't vibe well with us. And, um, you can kind of, you can kind of, uh, slim it down from there. Like you, you get to, you get to identify, you know, what people you don't enjoy working with for whatever reason, whether it's not a good vibe or they're, or they're maybe not great people. Um, and for us, I think it's important to work with people that we enjoy working with. Sure. Yeah. I was going to ask you in warning signs, but you sort of yeah. said like, you know, you just, it's, it's such a feeling thing. Like, yeah, it's it such, is it's yeah. such a thing where you're like, I just, just well, and to be honest reason. with you, yeah. And to be honest with you, you normally get, uh, I mean, for people are incredible just as a whole every most people are really good with intuition um so usually when you meet with someone you 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 get a vibe from them as to whether or not you would enjoy working with them or not and so i think especially over time you you get to learn that but um 
for us, I think I think we've gotten to that point where if we don't vibe well with with someone that we meet, we just kind of we, we, we look the other way. I mean, we, we don't want to work with someone that we don't enjoy working with. Who drives a lot of the creative direction on the projects that you do? So when like yeah. when you go meet with a, a potential client, yeah. are you coming with a slew of ideas or are they are you going in acting as a listener and hearing what they have to say and kind of playing off of what not even playing off but like saying like <clears throat> okay yes we can execute yeah. on your idea yeah you know so so really our process we always have you know an initial meeting with the client and and we talk to them about <clears throat> what their goals are and what their pain points are and how we can help solve the, those pain points um and so whether we've had clients that have come to us with an entire creative brief of what they want executed we've had other clients that, that are just like this is the problem help us solve it. And so we'll come up with, you know, a list of different ideas and creative briefs and creative approaches for different projects. And they'll be like, yes, I like that one. No, I don't like that one. And we'll just kind of narrow it down from there. Um, but for example, like First National Bank, uh, after we did our pilot sponsorship with them, you know, they came to us and said, we really like, you know, the idea of, of honing in on your guys's video, doing a project with you guys on video, uh, through video, excuse me. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, one of the, one of our pain points is that we we really want to be able to engage with our communities, um, especially on social. And so, from there, that you know, they gave us that information. From there, we came up with an entire campaign proposal um, called "Champions of the Community" that that tells stories of how high school football unites those communities that First National Bank um, plays a role in, and. Um, we included an engagement factor in it in terms of the distribution strategy. And so that was, that's an example of a, of a campaign that we pitched, you know, completely based off of just a, a problem that they came to us with and we helped solve. I'm, I'm going to throw a real curveball here at you. Are, are you a nature or nurture kind of guy? Uh, probably a nurture. I was thinking about this too on the, on the drive here. I'll yeah. let you explain, but then I'll explain I thought I came up with an interesting, and this could be like completely wrong when I speak it out loud because I haven't spoken out loud, but explain why you think it's nurture, and then I agree, so I'll explain why I yeah. think it's nurture. Um, I, you know, I think, I think I'm always someone that, I, I just, I, I love people. I always care about people, and for me, like, I just, I, I, I put people over everything, and, and this is something that, that my business partner and I talk about quite a bit, but I'm always willing to sacrifice um, money to be able to build the relationship because I'm in it for that long-term relationship and I care about people and I want to make things work. Um, and so I'm just a people driven person. And I think that's so important, especially in business to have that be a big aspect of what you do. And so that's why I would say for me, I'm, I nurture is probably the, yeah. Like I said, I tend to agree. I think like as humans, we have very few intuitions and those intuitions that we do have are very, surface level so the example that i was thinking yeah. like newborn babies are able to swim right out of the womb i don't know if anybody's ever tested that like just throwing a newborn baby into the water they're like man this, <laughs> this little guy can swim yeah anyway apparently newborn babies can swim but then they they lose that intuition very soon after they start developing and they yeah. have to be retaught retaught that ability to swim and i think that's true for a lot of things like as humans we have very few like we have an intuition to reproduce like when we go through puberty as guys were like, man, girls are sweet or guys or whatever you're into. And it's just like, you know, we have those intuitions, but then we have to be taught how to hone those. Like, yeah, yes, we're, you know, in that case, we're sexual beings, but there are plenty of people who 
while we all have those same desires, there are people that use those in the most horrendous of ways. And there are people that funnel those into constructive and, and loving and creative ways. So I think yeah. as humans, like I said, we have very, we have very few and very surface level things that we just innately know how to do. Sure. And it's, it's very much so the job of the environment that we're in or the people that we're around to teach us how to, how to use those things. So I, yeah. I again, fall on the, on the nurture side of things. Yeah. That was just something I was interested in because a lot of these conversations are predicated on this unspoken conversation of where does this drive come from? Like when you're 12 yeah. years old, like what, like obviously, yes, you're channeling your, yeah. mu- your, you know, you're channeling just all these feelings that you have, but you could do that in so many yeah. different ways. So like, why do you pick, you know, tweeting? And then why do you like, why do you pick something that's just objectively hard and does not have any sort of return sort of a thing? Yeah. And I think that's just an interesting conversation that we yeah. never, we don't have enough. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a question? It can be. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I think, I, I don't know if this is just the way I was wired or if it's a combination of, 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 you know, my parents instilling this in me, but I, I remember being a, a kid, um, and, and just always thinking about like, wh- like, what's my purpose here? Like, what is my purpose here? Why am I here? There's, there's, you know, billions of, of humans. Like what, what is, what is my individual purpose on this earth and if i don't have a purpose if i'm not helping people if i'm not contributing to something bigger than myself like what am i what am i doing here and so i remember like literally being a six-year-old and have like asking myself those questions and so there's always been something internally uh in me that that has always been driven to make an impact to because i've always thought like if i'm not if i'm not making if the world's not at least a little bit better of a place, um, because I'm in it, like that's like that's the, if I die and the world's not a little bit better of a place, then then why would I? I don't. For me, I I think my life was just w- would be pointless. Um, and so I I think about that and and I think like when it comes to like me creating the Twitter account or you know starting this business and helping people tell stories, like I always think like is it making the world a better place? Um, and so those are, you know, always questions that I ask ever since I was little. And I think that's, what's driven me to do things that, you know, especially initially didn't have an ROI to it. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think in the, like I mentioned at the beginning that the patent JT pod, like when you unpack that backstory, it's very evident in the way that you talk about your mother and just the way you talk about your family in general, that that was nurtured and, you know, that was a part of you that was just instilled as, you know, being an empathetic and being a caring person and being somebody that wants to to leave a positive impact above all. So I think, like I said, go listen to some of those episodes. Just search Hunter, Hunter Rod and Slavin wherever you listen to podcasts and a couple good ones will come up where you've, you know, you've, you've given your story, which I think are good, are, are part of that predicated conversation. But again, is, I don't think it's one that we have enough. Like, where does this drive? Yeah. I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and I've, I've been fortunate enough to do so on this podcast. And it's like, like, where does that come from? Like, yeah, yeah this is great that we're talking about all this practical stuff that people can go and steal. Yeah. But the, the meat of it is like, if, if you don't even have the desire or the, the passion or the right. drive to do any yeah. of it, like none of that matters. Like that all goes out the window. So yeah. I'm just always so curious where that comes from, but I, th- I think your answer was fantastic. Yeah. I want to close here. So for people that are listening and for you, I wanted to be more directive with how they're here this year and really focus on a message and really focus on, give some direction to it, I, I guess yeah. you could say. And the first season was great. I talked to a lot of really great people. I felt like I was just talking to people to talk to people. And there's just a lot of podcasts that do that. And it's whatever. Yeah. I wanted to really hone down like the type of person I was 
wanted to listen. So the type of person I want to listen is uh, like a young, creative, entrepreneurial-minded person that is located in the Midwest. And even more specifically within the Midwest, I want to start the podcast. I'm not wearing the hat, but the Back Pocket podcast that I that I produce for. Yeah. They have a saying, which is dominate the sandbox. So mm-hmm. really dominate, and I think something that you do really well, which is really dominate the area that you're in. So your sandbox would be Lincoln, my sandbox, Minneapolis. Yeah. And you know, you it's hard to build your influence internationally, even nationally. Yeah. Because you, you just don't have a presence there, especially when you start so small. But you yeah. can do a lot of kind of really disproportionately beneficial work for you yeah. within the immediate geographical area that you're in. Yeah. Right? So I really like that that Motra. And I really want to start taking that in consideration when I'm when I'm getting guests on, when I'm asking questions and stuff like that. And I want to start yeah. with Minneapolis. Obviously, I came to Lincoln. That's Midwest. And I'm like, I can't miss this opportunity. Yeah. But I think a lot of the things that you say, being from Lincoln, are applicable to somebody that's in Minneapolis or sure, Milwaukee or whatever. Right? Yep. So... A component of that is a geographical component and asking you about, you know, why, why you're doing business in Lincoln, why you enjoy being in Lincoln, what benefits you think there are of being an entrepreneur and being a creative yeah. in the Midwest. Because I think a lot of the time it's flyover country. It's, there's nothing happening here. Yeah. It's, there's just a lot of blah uh-huh. out about the Midwest and about people that are doing really, really unique things. Yeah. So what, you know, what is your perspective on Lincoln as a, uh, maybe a startup hub or a creative hub or an entrepreneurial hub or is at the the Midwest at large? Like what is yeah. your perspective there? Cause I think it gets a lot of bad rap to be quite honest. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it does, but then when you look closer, especially if you're from here, you know that Lincoln has a really unique startup culture. Um, most people are familiar with companies like huddle or open doors, um, that are headquartered and started here in Lincoln. Um, a lot of other startups that are, you know, in downtown Lincoln as well. And, and I think especially when you grow up around here, you, you, you get that vibe, you get that sense that, um, you know, that, that, that people are passionate about starting things here and, and the community as a whole is, um, really good at supporting one another. And so I think, you know, I think of, you know, I'm from Waverly originally just right up the road from here and, um, you know, Lincoln's always been in my backyard and I think, you know, here in, in Lincoln and, and also I would say throughout the state, uh, people support one another. And so whether you're starting a business or, you know, you're you're in a time of need, people are there to support you. And um, I've experienced that with starting a business. You know, I think about, you know, me, I've as a as a kid, basically starting this business, I've gotten to meet a lot of business owners here in Lincoln that are, are just killing it with their businesses. And they've been gracious enough to be able to, to you know, spend time out of their, out of their day to talk with me and give me advice. And, um, I think that's really unique about, about the community here in Lincoln. And that's why I think it's so important to, you know, be a part of a community, uh, whether it's Lincoln or Minneapolis or wherever you're from, if you can really just, you know, invest and, 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 and just dive into your community and be a part of it. Um, it's, it's interesting and and it's awesome the way that, that the community oftentimes gives back. Yeah. Got a thirty-minute record limit, which is kind of a oh pain, yeah, kind of a pain in the butt. All right, we're almost done. No, you're good. So, how do you feel then about the common objection that like there's just not a lot going on here? Like you see people yeah. all the time yeah. move to L.A. or New York because that's yep. just where stuff is happening and mm-hmm. whatever stuff is. But like, what do you feel about that objection of like there's just nothing happening here? Yeah, I mean, I think like that's the perception if you're not from here, right? Like I. I'm sure if I was from New York City and people were talking about Lincoln, Nebraska, I'd be like, okay, where's that at? Like, mm-hmm. 
but you know when you're from here and you're a part of it it's it's really the the people that set it apart and i was like i kind of said before people care about each other um and so i think i think there's so much actually going on here in Lincoln between all the startups, the businesses, but then also like Nebraska football, like this place is, is passionate about sports or passionate about people. They're, they're passionate about this community. And I think you don't get that in a place like New York city because everyone's doing their own thing in a lot of, in a lot of different ways. And there's just so much craziness. Whereas there's this community as a whole and and a place like Lincoln is unified and you don't get that. I think a lot of other places. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic. Well, Hunter, I, uh, I'm gracious for you sent me to, it was like an hour. It was flew by. It was so fantastic. Yeah. I, uh, I want to thank you. Just a, I mean, a crazy experience just to be able to come I mean, I just drove six hours. It wasn't like I went yeah. through a time portal, but it, it just is interesting. You know, all these people that I, that I knew pretty well, you know, you just establish a really cool base and it's like, I've actually never met them in person. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I was sitting here throughout the interview. I'm like, man, like I just like would look, I'm like, oh, this isn't a computer screen, you know, which I'm <laughs> yeah, seeing your face I'm on. Kidding. It's like, it's like a real, it's <laughs> yeah. like a real thing. So I want to thank you for, uh, for taking the time for covering up some time for, uh, for me to sit down with the podcast. It will, uh, I think it's gonna be a, a really solid episode. I think people would glean a lot of insight. So thank you for that. Let, uh, you know, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah. What's going on with you right now. Yep. So you can find me anywhere on, on social. My personal accounts are H Roddensleben are my handles and you can, you can search my last name. You can probably have it in the, in the description. Um, you can also find us on athlete nation, athlete nation.org. Um, creative Olson is our, our, uh, a company that I'm partnered in as well, doing media production work. So you can check us out on creativeolson.com as well. Awesome. Hunter, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And that is it for this episode. If you enjoyed, there's more to come. An interview-style episode of How They're Here releases every other Wednesday. And on the other weeks, I release a show where I talk with my friends, contemporaries, or even go solo and discuss all the things happening in the Midwest entrepreneurial and creative scene. I love the new, casual format of that show, and it really always seems to elicit some stimulating conversations and fantastic topics. So make sure to tune in then as well. In the meantime, check us out on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook by searching How They're Here, or find me online at Tyler M. Webb to connect. If you want to hear more from us, make sure to rate and subscribe. It helps us stay in business. Thank you as always for listening, and I'll talk to you all soon. Peace.